0: go.
1: Welcome back to Fathoms, and Enneagram podcast. We are stoked today because we have a guest that we've all been looking very much forward to being with. We have Jessica Dixon with us today from the Anti-Racist podcast.
2: Welcome, Jessica. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. It's good to be with you all. Happy whatever day it is for you that you're listening.
1: Yeah. What day is it? <laughs> <Friday>. <laughs> I've been confused. It is Fr- yeah. it's Friday right now. Yeah. And <laughs> what month is it? Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, we are really, really glad, um, to have you here. We're excited to have a conversation about how we can understand ourselves better and understand each other better. And, um, Especially about how we can use the Enneagram to move forward, to find a path forward toward liberation and justice. And so um, welcome. We are very, very happy you're here. And we'd love to know, um, is there anything that's making you feel particularly excited or moved right now at this point in your life?
2: Hmm. Let me check in with myself about that. I think what I feel is deeply touched by the importance of the work of anti-racist Enneagram embodiment, all of that. And I'm present to how much we really need to embody this work if we're gonna really move forward in any kind of meaningful way. So I've been really, really, I mean, I'm always present to it because it's like the work that I do, but lately I've just been like, the sacredness of it has felt really, really uh,
1: potent lately.
0: Hmm. Wow, we just dropped in, all right.
1: (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, I just felt my whole body just go. Whoa! <laughs> yes. Yes. Relax. Thank you for. Hmm. Thank you for bringing that.
2: Yeah. Sometimes it's just good yeah. to slow down mm-hmm. to get present to whatever is, and you know we don't mm-hmm. have to rush through. I always say with my clients, we'll get to what we get to, and that will be the thing that's most important. So whatever's on the agenda, we may get to three points of it of five. We may get to all of it. And the things that we get to are going to be the things that are going to make a difference for you. So we don't have to worry. Mm. We can just be and let that take us where we need to go. Mm
1: -hmm. Thank you. I didn't realize how much I needed to hear that, actually. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah.
3: Uh, Jessica, you named uh, working with your clients. Tell us a little bit more about that. What, you, what is it you do with, with clients?
2: Yeah, so I do one-on-one coaching work. Um, I, do, I run groups. I run workshops. I also do work with um, corporate clients who want to do Enneagram work and anti-racism work. Um, so those are kind of primarily the ways that I work with clients these days. And people sometimes ask, like, what my favorite is. And I'm like, they're all so different and all so beautiful. So I just I love every aspect of what I what I get hmm. to do, what I choose to do. That all feels really good.
0: Yeah. So you you recently in October, I believe, you started a podcast. Uh, can you tell us what. What motivated you to start that and, and what do you hope it's going to become?
2: Yeah, I started a little podcast called the Anti-Racist Enneagram Podcast. And I started it because every month I, I write at least three lessons for my clients for my Life on Vulnerability community that I have. So some people have been in it since I began it, April 2021. Um, but pe- some people just stay for the six months of their program where they'll get kind of these intro modules but I'm constantly creating content, lessons for clients or social media content. And I was like, why don't I just like get on and, and kind of riff a little bit about the things that
1: Hmm. we're
2: talking about in our, in the community, the things that I'm talking about with my clients, the things that are on my mind, you know, I'm always, I'm always fired up about (laughs) something. (laughs) So I'm like, why don't I just kind of funnel this into a short podcast? It's like, on average, like 15 minutes. So easy to get through, especially if you're a double timer. Though sometimes I do speak too fast for that. I know that.
0: <laughs> 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 Lindsay, you're muted.
2: Uh,
1: I actually listen Ironic. to yeah. your podcast on normal speed, and it's like the only one I listen to on normal speed. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <That's>
1: <laughs> Partially because it's so good. I don't want to miss anything, but yeah.
3: <laughs> there you go. Uh, we Jessica. were. Uh, I was going to say, Jessica, I've noticed um, you tend to have lots of fun. It seems on your on your podcast, which is one of the reasons I really enjoy listening to it. Uh, I like Creek mentioned before we started this, uh, binged uh, your your episodes a while back, and just part of it was I just I was laughing out loud listening to how much
2: fun. Oh, that makes me so happy! One of those.
3: Yeah. Yeah. One of those was that you were just, you, you tend to sing like multiple times in each episode, (laughs) which is amazing. Um,
2: Yeah. That that is how I apply it. Tell me
3: about (laughs) that. Oh, that's awesome. Tell me about that. Are you, do you have music in your, in your story? How's that? Yeah, I
2: I grew up singing. I was in choir. And um, when I was, uh, I was on like the worship team for a little bit at a church, that I was in in Ohio, so I just I love singing, and I call my my Wi-Fi network is called Human Jukebox because I will <laughs> I'll just bust into song if something's on my mind in conversation. I will just start singing like people. I don't even realize I'm singing. People are like, "What was that song?" I'm like, I, I freeze. I like panic. Wait. I'm like, I don't know what you're <laughs> talking about. So that's just kind of how I live. Like my life isn't musical. And I think more people would have, you're in great company. (laughs) Yes.
3: What's, what's, uh, what's been on your mind lately? What song, any song Mm -hmm. specifically?
1: Oh my gosh.
3: It's like on the podcast, like you just say something and then the the song (laughs)
1: comes. And sometimes change the lyrics as needed. I do. Um, I appreciate that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is true. Not just on my podcast, but in my life. Um, lately, <laughs> Encanto has been on my mind. So, yeah, yeah, that's just—I'm assuming everyone here is, has seen Encanto.
0: Oh yeah! Oh thank yes. goodness! Yes, yeah.
2: Like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, I'm I'm single and don't have any kids, but I these these movies like Coco and Encanto—they just hit right at the heart of like what it means to be <laughs> a human being.
0: Pixar, like
1: whoa, how, like the ways that they do that is, mm, yeah, it's yeah, it's big. like who on their writing team is doing such deep healing, in, like inner childhood wound work <laughs> right? because like, it's coming
0: through.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Ever since up, I'm just like, all right. I'm just going to just bring the the box of tissues because it's going to wreck me. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: Take my money. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'll watch it. Yes.
0: Yeah. 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 As, as listeners may know, I, yeah, I do a lot of podcast work outside of this and I just want to say, I was saying this off air, but just so everyone else can hear, I'm like after binging through the episodes, it's, it's like to do a short episode that packs the punch that you do is really, really amazing. Mm-hmm. It's impressive. Many people cannot do that, and it's nuanced, it's subtle, and it's powerful. And so, please go check out her podcast. It's it's really wow, great. I'm gonna so, like
2: take that and put it on it as a testimonial
1: somewhere. <laughs> that was amazing. There you go. type oh. that out.
0: Yeah, I will. I will. I will send that. Yes.
1: <laughs> I have one question about the podcast. Um, I love the theme song so much, mm-hmm. and I was looking in the show notes to see who it is, and I couldn't find it. So can you oh, tell us it, about the yeah, theme song? Um,
2: it's a Maribah, a song oh. called Get Free, and a mm-hmm. few years, mm, in 20, oh, that was 2020, um, one of, I was in this leadership development program, and one of my one of my coaches brought up this group and i was like oh i'll check him out cuz it was he just brought the, them up in passing and i listened to that song on repeat it's a short song but it was just like this is this is me like i don't want to just mm-hmm. get by i don't want to just survive like i want freedom for me mm-hmm. i want freedom for the people that i love mm-hmm. i want freedom for the world mm-hmm. so it mm-hmm. just felt like if i was going to use anything for this intro this is it yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That,
3: that sounds like a good segue into getting really at, to the heart of your work with the podcast, um, this anti-racism work, you know, with, and it, helping us see the Enneagram through different paradigms. And I wanted to ask you about this, um, I think, really important concept called social, socialization. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you could talk about it a little bit and the importance of acknowledging and understanding social socialization, if I can say right. it. Right. We had three times <laughs> <back>. And <laughs> my goodness. And uh, if you could define it, and maybe give some examples of how you know how we may see it, yeah. right, or experience yes. it. Yeah.
2: Now, this I, I'm just going to like back up for a second because. The, the idea, the concept of socialization is so important because none of us escapes it. Socialization is a process where we learn the culture of the place that we're in. So we learn the right ways to be. We learn the rules of engagement. We learn um, the roles that we're supposed to play and how we're supposed to play them. We learn what gets rewarded. We learn what gets punished. Um, and then we just learn sure. how to navigate all of that. So it's something that happens, uh, you know, even before we're born, because we are born into a, you know, a culture. Um, but even beyond that, our socialization, the ways that we do culture, actually gets internalized into our sense of self, and so we're not. It which means then that it incorporates itself into what is seen as normal, good, and right within our nervous systems. And Mm -hmm. one of the key parts of the work that I do is that unless our nervous system knows something, we don't really know it. We can know something in our mind. We can have a feeling about something, but our nervous system has to actually know. So we have to take what's in our mind and actually bring it into the nervous system because our nervous system is always looking for safety and it's looking to avoid harm. And so our socialization, one of the things that patterns our nervous system is the socialization into what is normal. What in, and what's normal then is what we're looking for in the world as a way of keeping us safe. Now, growing up in the U.S., America, we are socialized into our various family dynamics, religious dynamics, educational dynamics, and specifically into whiteness. And I speak about whiteness as a construct, as a culture, because I think it's helpful for us to understand what it is. But even more than that, understanding it as a culture helps us see how it lives, how it lives tangibly in our lives. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So, you know, Mm -hmm. culture, culturally, we have a culture based upon our city, maybe even neighborhoods within a city. I live in um, in San Diego. And so there are a lot of different neighborhoods with their own specific cultures. Um, we know we have a state culture, we have, you know, the culture of, of, a country or sometimes even a County. And so we have all of these different ways that culture is sh- saying, this is who you should be. This is who you are. This is who it's safe to be. Now, when I first, I, m- my background is that I worked in higher ed for a long time And then I decided to leave higher education and start my own um, coaching business. And when I did, and I was talking about these intersections of, you know, race and gender and the Enneagram, white dudes all the time would be like, what does race have to do with it? Race has nothing to do with it. What does race have to do with it? And the reality is that we're not a disembodied Enneagram type. So if we're doing that, that's, that's just feeding more into... Into whiteness, which values neutrality and objectivity, and those things don't really—they're not—they're not really real in our lived experience. Each mm-hmm. of us yeah. has been impacted by something, um, so we're not yeah. neutral beings. So yeah. one one example of socialization is—I I think of this all the time. So being an Enneagram eight, um, many Enneagram eight women can probably agree with me that when you're outspoken about things, especially as a little baby eight, like when we're, when we're we when we're little, um, that that doesn't always go over well. Um, not when you're a woman and, you know, seeing that boys could do similar things and be seen as a leader, that when as a little girl, you did them, you were seen as bossy. You were seen as, and that's pejorative, right? Um, you were seen as being nagging. You weren't seen as a leader who's going to develop into, into greatness. And so that's one thing in school where girls are punished for that. Boys are celebrated. Mm-hmm. But we see that as a kid and we go, oh, so as a, as a girl, I have to make myself small. I have to make myself quiet. I have to silence myself. I can't actually speak out. And we see that in the same boardrooms where... Men talk mm-hmm. over women, or women will say something and it's not validated until a man then says it. So this social that doesn't start at the boardroom. That starts when we're little. That starts when we're in these cultures that say that first tell us and then tell us again and then reinforce it. So our socialization is something that is consistently happening until we are intentional about saying oh, I don't like this. We're going to stop this. This is not something we're going to move forward by.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have about 50 follow-up questions. <laughs> yeah. um, for real. For real. But one of them is like all the way in the beginning, uh, uh, you said just so our audience kind of understands a little bit better. You say like you need to let make sure that your nervous system knows. Can you explain what does that mean for people who are like, what is that?
2: Yeah, Oh. oh, so I love this part of the work because this is part of the work that I believe is what moves us forward in real ways. So our nervous system is this system that basically is responsible for managing our sense of safety. And when we have a nervous system reaction, most most people have heard of like um, fight or flight. So we might run. We might try to fight. Some you know often in modern day times that's not necessarily a physical fight. So often it ends up being in a lot of intellectualism and a lot of those kinds of fights. Goading, you know, sarcasm, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so we might run. We might freeze also. Um, we might not be sure what to do. We might go blank. Um, we might go into an appease response where we kind of go along to get along, and um, you know, or you know, the worst is is collapse where we just kind of fall out. Um, so our nervous system is just making sure that we're safe, and that doesn't necessarily mean that the things that our nervous system senses are safe, are good for us, or even healthy. Um, Because when, say, we have some kind of ongoing traumatic event, our nervous system increases our capacity in whatever way, whether we numb ourselves, you know, to keep ourselves alive, we do many things. Um, But if we grow up where there's a lot of abuse, we become, that becomes like a normalized thing within our nervous system because it can't cause us to go into some kind of high reactivity every single time. So if it's ongoing, our nervous system starts to see that as what's normal. And our nervous system then, when we start to do healing work, like Enneagram work or like anti-racism work, for example, when we start to step outside of those normal things that maybe actually were unhealthy or not good, harmful for us, even when we're stepping into health, our nervous system can go a little bit berserk. So our nervous system can feel unsafe when, even when we're moving towards safety, because our nervous system just, it, it, it keeps track of what has hurt us so that we, so that it knows how to react and this, so that we can have a reaction and that we know what to do. Um, And so that it's programming it's programming predictability. I'm sorry, what?
0: Predictability. Yeah.
2: So, so that is something that when we're when we're moving away from it, it's like, oh no, something is wrong when something might be really right. Um, and so, mm. when we're doing this deeper work, a lot of the times we focus on what we know. You know, we focus on, I know that person didn't mean to hurt me as a, as an Enneagram eight, some of the work that I've done around my sensitivity to betrayal is like, I know that person was in a bad mood. They weren't meaning to hurt me. They were going through whatever they were trying to impress this person. And I can know all of that. That's great. But my, until my nervous system is able to be soothed and I know that I'm safe, it doesn't matter. I have to do the intentional work of holding myself. This is where the embodiment piece comes in. Because if I'm not doing that, then in my mind, I'll know, but my body will still be like, alert, 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 you're not safe. You know, when I was a baby eight, I used to see slights as the same thing as like a big betrayal. I didn't have any real distinction because my Mm -hmm. nervous system was so sensitive. Hmm. My nervous system was like, oh, you're you're gonna be hurt. So I have to make sure that if the littlest thing happens, that I'm gonna be there so that you can be protected. And so this is the importance of embodiment work because again, our nervous system is so it's I I think of it as its own entity as part of our body. Like we can and we and it's important for us to have reverence for it. Um, because it is making sure that we're okay, but it doesn't have time context and it doesn't have present day situational context. So it might read something that's happening right now as, oh no, this thing happened to you when you were four years old and let's make sure you're protected. And we get to say, oh no, I'm actually safe. I am actually safe. Like, thank you. Thank you for giving me this reactivity but I'm safe right now. So we get to do the holding and we get to calm down our nervous system and remind it I'm actually okay because we might know that intellectually, but our nervous systems need that soothing and they need that sense of um, safety. So that's, I like to think about it as a relationship for that reason. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: Jessica, um, sometimes I feel like I need to raise my hand with the amount of people we co-host we have. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, if I could uh, just, yeah, I guess mirror back what I, what I'm, what I think I'm hearing you saying um, is that socialization means that our nervous system operates in the style of our culture. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and as well as our type, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Yeah, because yeah, our type, okay. you know, our type's, core, this is why I I teach the Enneagram so specifically. And I always break down the actual aspects of our type. I don't teach it behavior based. I teach like, what are the core fears and desires? What is the passion? What is the fixation? What is the defense mechanism? And what is the reason that I do that is because those things are also patterning our nervous system. And when I can say, Oh, I'm reactive right now because vengeance, my fixation of vengeance is like, oh, like you better get revenge on that person. You're going to make them pay. And when I can recognize that in my thought patterns, then it helps me actually be more um, intentional about being with my nervous system so that I could be like, okay, that means that I'm hurt. It doesn't mean that they need to pay, but it, what it does mean is that I'm hurt and maybe I need to grieve. Maybe I need to have uh, an important conversation with that person. Um, and because our, our fears, you know, our, our Enneagram type is part of our ego structure. But those fears and, and the reactivity that protects us from existential threats, those things will pattern our nervous systems as well. So we are a combination of that socialization into culture, the culture that tells us the right way, the right way to be an eight, the right way to be a man, the right way to be or whatever. And then we have, you know, our type that is always like trying to, you know, make sure that we're moving toward its ideal. So for an eight, that's like moving toward an ideal of being strong and capable and competent and making sure that no one is ever is going to take advantage of me. That's the ideal for the eight. And so it means that I have, i am sensitive to looking and seeing those things, even when I'm not consciously
1: trying to.
2: Hmm.
1: Hmm. So if someone is listening to our conversation and they're maybe encountering these ideas for the first time. And they're starting to wonder like, um, Oh, am I socialized? <laughs> you know? Yes. Hmm. Uh, the answer is yes. But, um, how would you speak to a person who hasn't really come awake to the ways in which their socialization is impacting um, the way that they're showing up in the world? How would you advise them to start becoming aware and some practical things they could do to work with that in the ways that it's, it's hindering them? Yeah.
2: So what I, I, I think that, So I kind of clown on book clubs, or I don't kind of, I do a lot. Not that I don't love a good book club, I actually really do. Um, But because often people stop at the intellectualization of it, and they don't apply the information. So I think like getting a book, reading about this kind of stuff is so good for you. You know, like there's plenty of lists online, you can DM me for, you know, book lists. Um, I don't have any on the top of my head besides the Enneagram for Black Liberation. Shout out to Chi Chi Agoram, who wrote that, because that book is amazing. Um, And I'm very grateful to have been a part of that book. Um, But I think that, you know, because we are in a culture that values knowledge, like intellectual knowledge, I think finding a place, you know, I have a, I have self-paced course that you can go through um, on your own without feeling like you have anyone who's looking at you or judging you. Um, But for me, I think finding, finding someone who you trust, who's going to treat you as a, just a human being. Part of, part of what happens with whiteness is that you don't just get to be a human parts of your humanity are just really judged. And Letting go of that or stepping out of that gives us more access to just being a human, which means like space to make mistakes and space to be, Mm -hmm. you know, there's urgency is one of the aspects of whiteness that often drives us. And that's often like guilt or shame based. And when we have that as a way of being in the world, even if it's not conscious to us, it's going to just run our lives. And so finding someone who is able to hold, I, that, I, that I see that this is just part of your socialization, but there is actually more for you, that more is available in your experience of being human. Um, I think that that's really what you, what you want to move toward, the kind of people that you want to move toward and the kind of community that you really want to find and be a part of you know i think that doing this kind of work on your own you can go so far but until you have people who are who are able to look at you and say you are fully loved as you're looking at this thing that doesn't really look pretty mm. something about that that i think is so life changing to say for someone to say that you are actually already whole you have inherent value implicit worth that nothing actually could take this away, but let's look at these things that are that are stopping you from from being from living in your wholeness, and let's mm-hmm. reclaim your humanity a little bit more because whiteness is dehumanizing, kind of at its yeah. core. Um, the way yeah. that it was created was to dehumanize, and so we can't step over that and bypass it and say we're healed.
3: Man, this feels similar to your podcast, like Creek mentioned, just so much packed in a sentence, you know, (laughs) just this five, uh, 40 questions now after that, but, um, you know, trying to move along here, I I do want to ask about, um, you know, with this problematic nature of the socialized Enneagram, um, the mistyping that's based on um, this centered cultural experience of type. So, could you speak into that? Could you give us like some examples of like how mistyping happens because of this? How's that? How's that? How have you seen that show?
2: Well, this is, this is great. Oh, because, sorry. Oh.
0: Can we pause for a second before i I think that's an, that's an important question. I, I want to insert something right here and I'll edit all this out, okay. but I think it, it's, I need to figure out, help me figure out the, the, the right way to question, to ask this question. But the when you're saying whiteness, I understand what you're saying with the cultural, it is based on dehumanization, right? Can we, can you help explain to the listener, like the differentiation between, yes, I have white skin. That's, that's not the problem. It's the culture and the, yeah. I don't know the word right now. Mm. What's, what's a... How, do, how can I lead you into that? Um, um,
2: I think what you said is great, unless you're afraid of it seeming messy. Okay.
0: <laughs> no, I, okay. No, uh-huh. I just think, All right. Do it. Um, do it
1: messy. Do it messy. Do it messy.
0: I don't, I don't do messy. Do it Cree. Um, Do it messy. All right. Um, and then, Abram, you can ask that question, or I can just take that question and put it over and yeah. we'll move into that type miss the typing thing after this, but, um, okay. <clears throat> uh, Jessica, I wanted to touch on something real quick. Um, can you help, uh, us and the listener kind of differentiate between me having white skin is not the problem, but what you're saying is like there's a culture of whiteness that's, that's different than the skin color. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Can you kind of speak to that? Yes,
2: I can. I think it's so, so important And often I do have white people who are like, being white's not bad. And I'm like, oh my God, having white skin, having a white body. No, that's not bad. I'm not demonizing being Mm -hmm. white, but what needs to happen. And the importance of looking at socialization is that whiteness race as we know it is a recent invention and whiteness was created in the 1600s, um, as a form of anti-blackness. You know, race as we know it was really created so that um, black African males could be punished uh, or penalized for trying to exist free. So it really, it was so that laws could be created so that black Africans wouldn't have power if they were freed. It was created so that... um, Black, black men weren't marrying white women who were like the, you know, the pure beings who couldn't be corrupted by blackness. Um, so it actually made it so if a white woman married uh, an enslaved black man that she took on his status until he passed away, um, it made it so that little black babies were not born to their mothers. They were born to their, the owner of their mother's. So a baby was born and it would be nursed by its mom, but it could be sold at any point in time. And so this, is what, this was what began whiteness as the culture that it is. And parts of the culture of whiteness are um, shame, um, denial, um, perfectionism, objectivity, urgency. There are a lot of these aspects that came along um, with the creation of whiteness. And so it's important to interrogate what parts of this have I actually internalized into my sense of self? Not that it's not about the white skin as much as it is about the white skin has actually given me a lot of advantages simply because of this socialization of, because of the way that it was created. And if I'm not actually looking at that, I might, I might look at getting more privilege as me being healed, which is part of the issue that I have with the whole, Hmm. there's a, uh, one of the concepts is, um, in the, within the Enneagram is the levels of development. And I kind of rage against them (laughs) pretty often. Um, but you know, in my personal life, not always publicly, but part of it is I remember when I first read those and I was like, some of the stuff for the type eight that's average, I'm like, only if you're a wealthy white dude would this be average. For anyone else, you would be demonized. I would be kicked out of every situation I was in if this was this an average way of being. This was what I would consider unhealthy. I'm like, but who gets to who gets to be average or even be seen um, as good and do those things. It was the people who have power, as the white men. Mm-hmm. And so, and then looking even at the healthy um, parts of that or what's considered healthy, I'm like, oh, how can I get here without wealth privilege? So what does a poor person in the hood, a poor black dude in the hood going to do to pursue their wholeness if, what do you need to get here is based upon your wealth privilege. Does that mean that they can't have enlightenment from the Enneagram? Absolutely not. Hmm. And so we, we look at how we have internalized it, you know, white people and people of color, because we all have internalized it because we've needed to, because that's, our, that's the way socialization works. Again, no one across the globe makes it out without social, being socialized into whatever culture is, is in front of them. And so that, it becomes like a, how do I look at this? Do, am I, do I have the courage to look at this and say, oh, I've been, you know, I might not be actually a type one. I actually might have just been socialized into perfectionism in such a way that I get it. I get the the sense that I could never be enough. And so we then get to look and say, you know is this my internal experience or has this been what culture has told me I need to be who culture has told me I need to be in order to be successful? Um, Does that answer your question?
0: Yes. With 600 more (laughs) once again. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But, but yeah, let's, Uh, I think
3: that leads really well into uh, the next question. Uh, uh, Yeah. I (laughs) was just thinking about white enlightenment, Um, but (laughs) just how that's not a thing. Um, Anyway, I was, (laughs) yeah, so I think that leads really well into, uh, as we said. The, the the socialized enneagram um, and just mistyping as you were kind of naming there with the yeah. one uh, based on the the centered cultural experience of type. So, could you give just a few more examples? Like, what is that? What's that look like? How's that shown up for you with your with clients?
2: Yeah. Well, I used to before I started my own business. I used to do this work with my um, students and the people I supervise in higher education. And part of the conversation was always like, "Okay, my culture really values this." So I'm not sure if this is my type, but I know that this is how I'm supposed to show up. I know that I'm supposed to show up as a type three, but I don't know if that's me. And the conversations that came from that were so beautiful because one of the questions, you know, this was like a, a, a student from Korea, you know, who's like, well, I know I need to show up in this way or else. So... How do I know what's me and what's my culture? So with people of color, these are the conversations that have happened very naturally. Because again, whiteness, one of the tenants, the aspects of whiteness is this neutrality. And so white people aren't taught to look at themselves in that way, in a way of like having culture. You know, maybe you're taught to like, look at your Italian culture, like something that, you know, but often like, That's that's a missing thing, Um, you know. Filipino culture is very much a Type Seven culture, so it's very joyful and let's feed you, which I love. By the way, Um, (laughs) I love that aspect of it. But you know, people have to look and say, like, okay, the joy that I that I exude is this part of you know. Black culture tends to tend toward being very joyful and Type Seven in some ways. Um, and so, can we look and see? Okay, this is the culture, but what what's me, and what's the culture? And this is where individuation is so important. Um, I I talk about the difference between individuation and individualization because they're different. Individualism is I'm in it on my own. I'm out here on my own. Nothing, you know. I'm not part of a group. This is what whiteness. Perpetuates. I'm not part of a group. I'm, I'm out on my own with individualism, but individuation says, I know that I am inherently part of a group. I know that I, and because I know that I'm going to see who I am, who am I compared to the group? Who am I as different from the group? Um, and that becomes an important part in, I think, typing that I think is really special and really sweet, um, because I think that even white people are mistyped because they don't look at their socialization. I don't think it's just people of color, and almost,
0: say it a little louder. Every black, for the people in the back. Yeah,
2: almost every black woman I know who has been on a panel or been typed by a white person has been typed as an eight. And it's like, okay, it's be, you know, and then that, so it's like, okay, so because. Black women more easily express very righteous, very justified anger. And in white communities, that's seen as a no-no to express anger. Only white men get to express anger, white, but white women don't. So when they look and see a woman who is black expressing anger, that makes sense. It is seen as you must be. Instead of no, actually, within the culture, that's very accepted. It's desired. You know, we, we need to speak our truth. Um, and express our ourselves and our power in that way. And so, but it gets really offensive also because, you know, there's the angry black woman trope. So that whiteness perpetuates because we all have stereotypes. Stereotypes aren't the problem. The problem is who has the societal power to say whether a stereotype is going to be seen as the norm and be harmful to someone else. And so, you know, like not every black woman is an eight and that's okay. And that's good. And what, you know, me and me and my friend, Vanessa Fernandez of the Enneagram workshop, we're putting on a program called expanding the Enneagram. And one of the things for me is that I want Enneagram practitioners to be so, so knowledgeable about, the essence and each aspect of the type that they can see past the stereotypes that, you know, they're holding about what the type should or should not look like, which is often, you know, and I don't, I don't fault, I don't fault old Enneagram teachers for this because it's what they knew that, you know, when it was like, oh, I worked with so-and-so it's like based on who, who you had access to was based on what money you had. So what you're getting often, and especially in the older books is like Mm -hmm. a bunch of wealthy white people and their expression of the Mm -hmm. type, which is one expression of the type. And if we're not looking at our socialization and we're not looking at society and how, uh, what the culture is, we're actually gonna miss out on a lot of opportunity for, for our healing you know, for our transformation, because, you know, as a, as a black woman, you know, (laughs) people don't really love to listen to black women until black women have saved democracy for the bajillionth time. There's like a, until you save us, like, we don't really listen to you until after you've saved us. And then we're like, thanks. It's like, we've been sounding these alarms for a long time. So a lot of the time, you know, my voice has been silenced. But the work of the eight, the quote work of the eight is to give other people space. Okay, so, but I have my own power, but every time that I've been in a situation in a room with a white man, they've thought that I wanted to take their power and therefore they have silenced my voice. So what is my work? What would my work be as a a female black Enneagram eight? And who can hold space for that? Is there space for for that within the quote Enneagram community if there is really such a thing?
1: <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I, I, I'm just having so many light bulbs right now because you're right. It is so important for us as Enneagram teachers and practitioners not just to portray eights as here's your work to do. You need to make more room for other people. You need to stop using the power that comes so naturally and easy to easily to you and be gentler or whatever. That's not every eight's work to do. Thank you so much for highlighting that for us.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because then it gets frustrating. Um, It's like, I feel like I'm being gaslit. I'm like, what do you mean? mm, (laughs) Like, mm, yeah, (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: sure. Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah that's really important. Um,
0: just one final question here. We're already, we're all already at 45 minutes. We're going to have to Um, do this again, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. So, um, uh, so our season theme is like uncovering, discovering the dynamics of personhood. Right. And we've We've kind of filtered out, I mean, they're not the entirety, but they're general categories of individuality, mutuality, and unity. And so I'm curious from your perspective, um, what's what's an embodied way forward to uh, to respect our individuality, our mutuality, in order to begin to experience some sort of deeper humanization and unity. Yeah.
2: When I talk about embodiment, one of, the, one of the things that I give my clients is a list. And it's a list of a bunch of kind of different identities. And they have to go through the list and they have to say what identities they hold. Like it might say race, gender. So they have to go and fill it out. And to say what, what of those holds privilege and which does not. Which have they thought about? which have they actually never considered as part of their identity? For example, hair texture. A lot of white people m- may be frustrated if they have curly hair or, or frustrated if they have straight hair that can't get curly, but they don't necessarily think about how that is a form of privilege. Because for me, I remember when I, I used to get hair relaxers and straighten my hair. And I remember the fr- when I was graduating from, college or actually graduate school. So I got my master's degree in counseling when I was graduating, I was looking for jobs and I had a job interview and I asked my mom, I asked my mom if I needed to straighten my hair for the interview. And my mom was like, girl, Mm -hmm. no, like (laughs) we, we have been working hard for all these years. You wear your Afro. And Mm -hmm. the fact that in 2010, I had to, I was asking that question. You know, is its own thing, and so us looking and at the embodiment of who we are when our body moves through space and time, the, th- the the identities that it holds, and understanding ourselves, I think, is a crucial first step for everyone. Um, now, many people of color, people who have disabilities, have done this often in different ways. And for people who are white, I think it's especially, especially important because again, that conditioning into we're neutral, I'm just me, you know, I'm not part of a group, you know, it, it leads to things that are, I think, unhelpful, even for the white person, like you're not in it alone. You are part of something that's hmm. beyond you and you, it's okay, it's it's good to know that, but it's important to know that because your sense of self being out here on your own, oh my gosh, that's draining. And then really that's devastating because we're not meant to be. So understanding like what makes you you, how does that fit in with your expression of your Enneagram type? How, mm-hmm. how does that how does that and the privilege that you might hold or the marginalization that you might hold? How does that shape how you express your type? What do you feel like you need to repress because of because of it? Or what do you feel like you're able to do that maybe another person who is the same type, who has different identities, they might have a different experience. So I think understanding, there's nothing wrong with being different. The point of anti-racism work isn't to make us all the same. It's so that we can actually all know the ways that we're different knows the w- know the ways that we're same and celebrate everyone for the fullness of who they are. Mm. Mm. So I think for me, that's like an important aspect of embodiment. It's like being related to our nervous system, understanding how our body moves in space and time and how, you know, you know, me and a, and a white male eight showing up to the same place are going to be reacted to pretty differently. And mm. all of that matters. Absolutely. So I think that's a, that's probably what I would, I would say is like a really important step for, for that. Yeah, that's a good
0: word. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well,
3: uh, Jessica, man, this has been uh, insightful and, and beautiful. I just want to thank you for your wisdom uh, and your time. Um, oh, I think Lindsay has a question quick.
1: Go yeah, I it. just wanted, before we get off the call with you, Jessica, I just wanted to ask you if there was anything that you really felt lifting for you that you wanted to make sure you got to say mm. um, that maybe our questions didn't exactly get at, but you kind of feel it um, resonating or burning and you, I just want to give you space to say anything that you feel like you want to.
2: Mm. No, I think I feel complete. This is a great conversation. You know, I never know where the conversations are going to go, so I'm I'm very much <laughs> like a let's just see what arises and go from mm. there, and we can figure it out together. So, <laughs> yes,
3: yeah. Well, again, uh, thank you for just the clarity. I think that you brought the the insight into um, man. I think uh, there's so many ways that we are unaware that we are, uh, deeply affected and informed. And, uh, I just think the wisdom that you brought will, will hopefully, you know, start to allow people to unpack some things and to ask some deeper questions and to reflect about, you know, how am I seeing the world that I don't realize, you know, I am what through what's more filters than maybe just my Enneagram type, you know, yeah. so, um, Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again for your time and just for being with us. Uh, Where can our listeners continue to learn more from your voice?
2: Probably the best way is through my Insta. It's Jessica D. Dixon coaching. Um, Yeah, I post a lot there. I really, one of the things that I love about social media is the opportunity to engage. So to, you know, if I post something, share it with a friend, comment on it. Like, what are you thinking How are you thinking about things? Because for me, the work that I do, I'm not necessarily going to teach you what to think about something, but I do want to teach you how to think through things. Like when you understand that you are socialized into a culture, then that changes how you think about the world. And that's one of the things that I think I offer to the world is, you know, I'm not necessarily going to do a whole bunch of series on Enneagram type though. Those are great, but you can get those from other people. I want to encourage you into different ways of thinking about um, how to do the work or what the work even looks like. So that's what you'll find over with me. So I hope that you join.
0: Yes. Love that. Thank you so much, you're Jessica. You're
2: welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs>